Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. In this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about the YouTube video I did yesterday because I've had lots and lots of questions and people asking me to explain a little bit more about the research that I did into error correction. So I try to keep my YouTube videos short and sweet, um, but I'm going to make this subject into a blog I will put on my website so you can get all the links and all the references there as soon as I finish this podcast. Yeah, so the uh, title was Error Correction and especially in writing. And the reason I chose to talk about it was because I did a research project about four years ago now, I think. So before I get on to tell you about what I think you should do, I'm going to tell you a bit about the background of the project and why I felt it was very important for me to do some research. So, you know, I've been a teacher for 30 years and I've been an IELTS teacher for 20 years. So I've always done a lot of marking of students' writing throughout my career. And I always really enjoyed it because I felt it was useful, of course, that um, students could learn uh, from their mistakes and I could help them and I could advise them and tell them what they needed to do. So that's all good. But then I got to a certain point where I thought, hang on a minute, I've said this to these students, the same thing many, many times, but they're still making the same mistakes. And I felt a bit frustrated by that. And I wondered, is that my fault? Is that the way I'm correcting students that's not working? Or is it that students simply don't learn from this method of error correction? Is there a better way? Um, could they learn from their mistakes in a more effective way? And I thought, surely somebody has done some research on this. So luckily, just at the right time, I went to a, a conference in London uh, and it's the English UK organization. They look after all of the private language schools in the UK. And they teamed up with Cambridge ESOL Assessment to sponsor six teachers and to help them do research on something that they were interested in. And they would um, help us do it properly so that it was accurate and reliable. So luckily, I was chosen as one of the six people who applied. Um, uh, lots of people applied and six people were chosen to do this research. And what they suggested that I do was um, to monitor the way I give correction and to try and find out which correction is most effective and to back that up with the research that I did. So the name of my project was called the Big Blue Book Project. And literally all it was, was I gave my students a blue empty exercise book. 
And that was their book. They had to keep it and they had to write everything, all of their homework, they had to write in this book. And every time I set a writing for them, they would write it in the book and give it to me to mark. Now, following what I'd read in all the research articles, I decided not to correct them. So I didn't put the right answer. I only used a writing code. I know lots of teachers and lots of schools use writing codes and there are different types. So some people decide to just put an underline under the mistake. Some people write something like uh, P for punctuation or SP for spelling or WW for wrong word. And then the student has to go away and work out what their mistake is. So they're actually thinking about the mistake themselves. They're not relying on the teacher to just tell them what the answer is. And the theory is that if they do this, then they're kind of internalizing the problem a bit more, if that's the right word. They're thinking about it more and therefore it will have a longer term effect on how they read their own writing in future. That's the theory anyway. So what I did was I marked these essays with the code system and I handed them back, the blue books, to the students. They looked at the marks, the codes, not the marks, just the coding, and they corrected them themselves without my help. And then they wrote another, the same, they rewrote it and gave it back to me so I could check if they'd corrected their mistakes. So yes, they were writing the same thing twice, um, but the second time they had corrected their own mistakes and we did this for about 10 weeks. So it was quite a long time. And during that time, I did different kinds of tests and questionnaires. And I kind of counted up their mistakes at the start and then counted up their mistakes at the end. And my the people who helped me, the experts, they showed me how to analyze the results and to work out what was effective and what was not effective. So guess what? Yes, what we found that there was a significant difference between the students who did this Blue Book project and the students who didn't. So there could be a variety of reasons for this. It could be that the students who didn't have the Blue Book um, simply just didn't have that opportunity to look at their work and rewrite it. Um, it could be the fact that the Blue Book actually encouraged them to think more about their mistakes. There's lots of reasons, and of course more research needs to be done. But ultimately, the, the project was very positive in that we did see a noticeable improvement in the students' ability to notice and correct their own mistakes and therefore not rely on a teacher. And of course, in an exam situation, you don't have the teacher there breathing over your shoulder. You have to do it yourself. So it's something I believe very passionately in. And let me tell you about some of the research articles, because I think they're really funny. <laughs> 
The one I loved, and this is the most important one, was by John Truscott. I'll put the quotes in my blog. And I read the first line and I thought, oh, yeah, I totally agree with this. It says, this paper argues that grammar correction in L2 writing classes should be abandoned. And that's it. He thinks it should be abandoned, that we shouldn't correct grammar. He gives reasons why. He says research shows it's an ineffective and um, doesn't work for many theoretical and practical reasons. It has harmful effects, for example, the effect on your morale when you're always being corrected. And he thinks it's a waste of time in class and that's not how we learn languages. So he had a lot of things to say about it. And of course, there were people who disagreed with him as well and people who had different research. But the thing that um, I really noticed was, or what I found in all of these research papers was that if you do something with the error correction, then that is more likely to make the difference. So Highland says the crucial factor is having the students do something with the error correction besides simply receiving it. The problem with error correction is you just look at it, maybe you just look at your score and you don't actually act on it. So you might as well just throw it in the bin. So this is a really important lesson, I think, and it's an essential skill that students have to learn. Um, in my Friday feedback session in the Members Academy, um, where students submit their writing, I do correct their grammar but there's a reason for that, and I'm going to talk about that next. Um, the, what I think the teacher can do is guide the students towards making their writing. How can I explain it? Can I give you an example? Right. Okay. So, for example, we had this student who wrote a very nice academic uh, text one. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through my PowerPoint. Okay, so I gave this a band six, but I said it could be a band seven. Can you go and have a look and see what you can do to make it band seven? And all I did was put question marks after each verb and before each adjective. So, for example, the student said, it is clear that sales of VHS tapes fell whereas sales of DVD discs saw a rise, followed by a decrease. Blu-ray discs also experienced an increase in sales. That's very good, but it's a six. Why? Because there's no description. All the student had to do was add it, the sales fell significantly. Uh, sales saw a dramatic rise, a slight decrease, a noticeable increase. Simply adding those adjectives and adverbs turned the writing into a band seven. And this is something I guess students can't do for themselves. A student can find their own mistakes, they can proofread, they can edit. But this is where it's really important to have a teacher who can guide you specifically for IELTS to the next band. 
The second example I've got here is general training, and it's the most common mistake I see. This one got a band five, even though it was very nicely written. It says, hi, Jane, how are you? Hope my email finds you well. Good to know that you passed your university exams. I am very excited to hear about your plans. However, unfortunately, I am not available at that time and I apologize for any inconvenience caused. What do you notice? Why is it a band five? Well, there's a huge clash between the informal, friendly beginning and the formal, however, unfortunately, I apologize, inconvenienced um, the, neg the formal language. So that limits you to a band five. So a good teacher will be able to point this out to you and with confidence encourage you to write in a more natural, friendly way. So a simple change would be instead of I am very excited, you'd say I'm with a contraction. What a pity I won't be here in June. What a pity. That's an expression. I won't be here. That's contraction. Exclamation mark. Can't you make it a bit later? Phrasal verb. Make it. Can't you? Question. All of these things will push that writing from a band five to a band seven. So this is where it is really important that you get teacher feedback, of course. And finally, there's my lovely student, Faris, who kept getting 5.5 and he needed six. And the trouble with him was that he wasn't extending his sentences. So he was under length, even though he had good points, he couldn't reach the band, uh, the 250 words, and he wasn't developing his ideas. So on his writing, I simply put a comma, which means question mark, comma, so question mark, and the result is question mark, for example, question mark. And every time I did that, he completed the sentence. So ultimately, he got into the habit of knowing that his sentences were, in a sense, incomplete because they had no development or extension. And this made his sentences too simple. But when he added the consequence or the result, that suddenly gave him uh, a voice. It made his opinions clearer and strengthened his arguments. And he got a 6.5, actually. He went up by one band simply by doing this in his task two. So it's something I feel very strongly about, but I know it's difficult for students to um, possibly change their mindset about this. Um, I had a new lovely student this week, Abdallah, if you're listening, and he asked me, what's the difference between um, awarenessness, awareness, sorry, awareness and consciousness, I think. Yes. And he asked me that on Instagram. And I thought, well, if you're going to ask anybody the difference, like me, I would kind of go, mm, hang on a minute. Oh, I don't know. Well, I suppose mm, they're quite similar. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, I'm not going to give you as accurate an answer as you will find in an online dictionary. 
where they will give you accurate examples, accurate models, and clear differences. Now, if you go to something like Longman Online Dictionary, it's designed for learners. So the dictionary will know if there's a difference. It will tell you, be careful, there's a difference between work, uncountable, and a job, which is countable. So because you're doing that research yourself, you'll remember it. And I, I said to the student, look, I could explain this, but it'd be much better for you if you found the tools that you need to find the answer yourself. I do feel bad saying that, but it's like cruel to be kind. There's a reason behind it. There's evidence behind it that it's much better long-term for the student to do their own research because it will help them and build their independent learning skills. So I'll put this onto my blog as soon as I can with all those links that I've mentioned to the research, to my research, the background research and the, the models and the things like uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mention the th tools you can use like um, Grammarly and Pro Writing Aid. They're really good tools to help you check your own writing. And even Google Docs now has um, a system where it highlights if they notice an error. And there's another one called GrammarCheck.net. If you find any you think are better, please do let me know and I'll add them to the list in the blog. That would be really helpful for other students. One thing to just be a little bit careful about um, with Grammarly and ProWritingAid, I've noticed that they actually don't like formal language. So if you write something in the passive, they will suggest that you turn it to the active. So just be ready to ignore things like that because in writing task two especially you have to write with the passive and be very formal so that just learn to ignore the advice that for IELTS is wrong. Okay, thank you very much for listening this week. Slightly different, but I hope that will really guide you long term like it did for my students and give you the skills that you need um, to help yourself um, in the future to go on and do wonderful things with your life and your English language learning. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now. See you next week. Bye bye.